0: Hey, go ahead and open in your Bibles quickly, we uh, uh, have a lot of ground to cover here, but open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, okay, Romans chapter 5, and in a minute I'm going to have Jill Hessen read our, our passage, Jill, uh, new grandmother, uh, wife to Deacon Jim, and also our violinist up here, going to have Jill read this passage in just a minute, and let me, uh, before she reads it, let me just say this, let me just give you a warning, okay, uh, this may be the weirdest Mother's Day sermon you have ever heard. Okay. The strangest Mother's Day sermon you've ever heard. And by that, I mean, absolutely not sentimental. Okay. So you'll, you'll see as we go through the passage here, but uh, in another sense, exactly uh, perhaps what we need to hear about our children as well as ourselves here from Romans chapter five. Okay. So I'm going to invite you all to stand with Jill uh, in honor and respect of God's word. Jill will read the passage for us and then pray for our time uh, together. Jill.
1: Now the law came in to increase the trespass where sin increased, grace abounding all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord.
0: Will you pray for us, Jill?
1: Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness um, on this special day. And thank you for families. And um, once again, just most of all, for Jesus and his grace and love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I don't think I have to convince you um, that the world is messed up. I don't think I have to convince you of that. All you have to do is uh, pick up your phone, turn on the news, Uh, Look around you and see that the world is messed up The question we have to ask is why is the world so messed up and according to this passage this morning according to this very uh, non-mother's day passage (laughs) The reason the world is messed up is because of sin Because of what our great 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 grandparents adam and eve caused Has therefore trickled down to us and we've inherited this problem of sin and so the Bible's answer to what's wrong with the world is, the Bible's answer is, is we've sinned. We've rejected God, and, and that started with Adam and Eve, but we, because of Adam and Eve, are guilty in Adam and Eve. That's what this passage talks about. The theological terms for it is original sin. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic church, maybe you have a church background, and you, you heard that word, original sin, or that term, original sin, or inherited sin. That's what this passage is teaching us. That we are linked to Adam and Eve. And their fall in turn caused our fall. And the guilt that they had is transferred to us. That's what the Bible teaches is wrong with the world. This this idea of sin. This concept of sin. Some may say, hey, the world is messed up because of Economic inequality. It's because uh, the, the money is not distributed equally, and if we just fix the economics, then the world will be better. Some people might claim that, well, no, the problem is not sin. That's antiquated, old, ancient kind of religious idea. The problem is not economics. The problem is education. And if we just got uh, people better educated, if, if we could just get them out perhaps of their bad. Upbringing, their bad environments. Then we could create a place, or we could create an opportunity for human flourishing. But here's the deal: if you think that economics is the problem, then guess what? Money will be your savior. If you think that education is the primary problem, then knowledge will be your savior. But if you believe, as the Bible teaches, that sin is the primary problem, then guess what? You need a savior. And that Savior comes, that Savior is Jesus Christ. Amen. And this passage is telling us that every person in this room is guilty before God because of what Adam and Eve did. It's a, uh, it's a humbling, deep, and uh, in some ways disturbing message, and one that you and I in a modern world and in our modern context do not quickly uh, embrace. Blaise Pascal said this. He said the the Christian explanation of sin at first offends us, but if accepted, makes sense of all that we experience, that we have this good world gone bad, tainted by sin. Malcolm Muggeridge said this. The depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time, the most intellectually resisted fact. What is Muggeridge saying? He's saying... People don't like to talk about sin. They, t- they tune you out if you bring up that ancient, uh, religious, Bible-believing word. But it's undeniable. Look around us. There is sin. There is brokenness. So it's, it, it's, it is, at first, it is empirically empirically verifiable, but it's also resisted because we don't want to see ourselves as guilty before God. We don't, certainly don't want to see ourselves tied to what so- somebody did thousands of years ago. But that's exactly what this passage teaches. Two points, okay? And I got to move quickly here today. Two points. Sin, what is it, what it is, and what it means, okay? What it is and what it means. And here's my bottom line, okay? Here's the big idea of the message. The depth, gravity, and pervasiveness of sin is eclipsed only by the amazing grace of Jesus, okay? Paul's main point here in Romans chapter five is to let us know how bad sin is, and the reason he's doing this that is to let us know it's that bad and salvation will be even that much greater. That's his point, okay? So Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through 21. Uh, we, Jill read that for us, but again, back in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin and death came through one man, that, that man being Adam. And if you notice in verse 12, the end of verse 12, it says, because all sinned. And the tense there in the, origi- in the original language in Greek is an aorist tense. And it means at a, at a point in time, all sinned. And that's, imp- be- that's important because Paul is not saying, hey, all people sin, which is true. We saw that in Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he's saying here in verse 12, all sinned in Adam, aorist, in the past, at a particular point in time, we sinned with Adam. And again, our American Western minds immediately reject that. Wait a minute. I'm guilty because of something that a guy did thousands of years ago. His guilt is passed down to me. And now I have a, a sinful nature because of what Adam and Eve did. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't, that doesn't seem right. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Look at me with Ephesians, Ephesians 2. It says, you were your trespasses the teaching of the bible is not that we need a band-aid or that we're kind of limping along just trying to get along the teaching of the bible is that we come into this world dead in need of resuscitation not a band-aid but a new heart we need to be brought back to life and if that's not enough verse 3 says we were by nature children of wrath Now, none of us want to think about these children up here as, by nature, children of wrath. They are image bearers of God. They are beautiful, as Psalm 127 says. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. And guess what? The Bible goes on and says those gifts of the Lord are also sinners. Yeah, I've got a nine-month-old at home. He's here this morning, too. He's not at home by himself. But uh, I've got a nine-month-old. And just within the last seven or ten days, he's been doing this pushing away as you hold him. Like, get, get away from me. Let me go. And then that, that high-pitched shrill as I don't get the spoon to him fast enough. Ah, you know, I won't do it for you. An image bearer of God, a gift from God. And guess what? A sinner just like his mom and dad. <laughs> just like his mom and dad. Born in sin. Born with a rebellious spirit, original sin. Let me give you a definition. You've heard that term before. I bet 95% of us have heard that term. Let me give you a definition of original sin. Original sin refers to the state of guilt and corruption that all human beings are born into as the result of Adam and Eve. Original sin involves two aspects. All people are guilty before God and all people are characterized by a sinful human nature. Now, happy Mother's Day. There there you have it, Romans chapter 5. Okay, but we, we need to hear this. Okay, we need to hear this about our own hearts and we need to hear this as parents because it affects the way we're gonna parent our kids. It should, I hope. But we are linked spiritually to Adam and Eve's bad choice. Again, we don't like to hear this as individualistic, rugged individualistic Americans, right? Choice, autonomy, these are our values. But this says that because of what Adam and Eve did, You and I are guilty and now have this fallen nature. And the results of that we see on the news and we see in our own hearts, right? Theologians call this link to Adam federal headship, okay? Federal headship. Let me just unpack that for you just a second. It means that Adam was our representative. And you might say, well, Adam, way to go. Way to screw it up, you know? Eve, way to go. Way to screw it up. If you were right in their place, if you were the representative, you would have done the exact same thing. And we know this idea of federal headship. Even in our American culture, sometimes we know that if, if we are part of a, an organization or a trade union or something like that, and we have someone who represents us in the negotiations, that representative, what, what he gets or what she decides, negotiates, then falls upon everyone down the org chart, right? Because of what that one representative did. We have representatives that we elect that can declare war on another nation. And you'd be like, not my war. Yeah, your war. Because your representative has declared war. You are now, you are in a war because of a choice that someone else made. That's federal headship. We don't like it, we resist it, but even in our culture, we have some examples of it. And our resistance... To that idea, to that what theologians also call human solidarity. That we have a unity with Adam, we have a unity with other humans. Our rejection of that is very Western, and quite honestly, pretty contemporary. And if you were to travel around the world, you, as you talk to other cultures, you would say that they don't have as big of a problem with this idea of federal headship or human solidarity as we do. A couple years ago, I was able to travel to... Uh, India and Bangladesh. And I was, as a meeting with one of the pastors that we were working with and training there in India, Pastor Hanuk, as I met him, this is fascinating. And you guys have these stories too about how people greet you and meet you and, and what they begin to talk about in a different culture. And what's the first thing that any culture is going to ask you when you meet them? What's your name? My name is Ross. And then what do you expect he's going to ask me? Where are you a pastor? Or what do you do? Or uh, And guess what? His first question. After he introduced himself, what, what was his first question to me? What's your father's name? Ron, Ronald Dean Beebe. He's right over here. Uh, he asked me about my father. And then, you know what his, what, you know what his next question was? What does your father do? Well, he's a, he's a structural engineer. See, not every culture profiles people by your name and what you do. They link you to a father or to a family or, or some, somebody up the, the pyramid or the family tree, right? But the idea of rugged individual and American and the resist, Americanism and, and the resistance to this idea of, of Adam representing me is fairly recent and very Western. And the Bible teaches that there is this idea of human solidarity. And so, because of what Adam did, we come into this world guilty and we come into this world bent and tainted toward wrong. And if you and I look in our heart just briefly enough, closely enough, we'll know it's true. There's no escaping it. I had some great parents. You probably had some great parents. You grew up in a great part of the country in a great time in history. And it wasn't enough to protect you from the bent of your heart. Because of what Adam has done, we are sinners. So here it is. Sin, what is it? It's not just my choices, but it's my nature. I don't know if I already said that or not, but that's under point one. What is it? Sin is not just my choices, but it's my nature. That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Not only is it just not my choices, but it's also my nature. It's also not just part of me, but it's all of me. There's not, you know, some old psychologists would talk about children, you know, kind of coming into this world as a blank slate. There's no blank slate in your heart. There's no part of you as a human that is untainted by sin. There's not this little special holy divine spark somewhere inside of you that you just need to get in touch with because it's the real you and it's the pure part of you. The Bible would say in Romans and elsewhere that you are tainted totally. Spiritually, physically, relationally, emotionally, intellectually. There is no part of you that is not tainted by sin. It's not just part of me, but it's all of me. And it's not just me, but it's everyone. Believe it or not. It's everyone. It's you. It's me. It's my ninth, my nine-month-old. It's my mother, who's here. Who's a great mother. Sinner. Now, uh, I've had people tell me I'm going to embarrass my mom for a minute here. I've had tell people, people tell me your mom is the nicest, the kindest lady I have ever met, and and uh, I say, you know what? You're right. My mom. She is. She is one of the sweetest, kindest people. You will ever meet and sometimes jokingly i've told people back. I said, yeah, you know If I didn't believe the bible, I wouldn't know that she was a sinner If it weren't for the bible, I wouldn't think she was a sinner Which is not totally true because we you know We had those times in the car when dad's driving got a little out of control and she would just cuss like a drunken sailor But that was only that was only two or three times in my life, you know, it's was, it was embarrassing wasn't it dad? Um, but other than that a kind person but the bible says how's that for happy mother's day? Uh, A kind, sweet person. But the Bible would say all have sinned, past tense, and fall short, present tense, of the glory of God. No one is exempt. Not me, not you, not your two-year-old, not your 95-year-old mother or father. That sin gets us all. If you look further, again, Paul's point here as he goes on is, is not to say that, hey, there's sin... But then God's grace came, and it's kinda, they kind of meet out each other. It, it's kind of a scales deal. Adam sinned, and then the new Adam comes, and he kind of does away with sin. If you read along with me, verses 15 and following, his point is actually that sin is bad, but grace is even greater. Look, look with me, verses 15 and following. But the free gift, he's going to draw contrast here in verses 15 and following. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Notice he says in verse 15, uh, many died through one man's trespass, much more. He's going to say that again in verse 17. Uh, But first... Uh, Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And here, verse 17, again, he ratchets it up in verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Do you see how he ratchets it up there? there's sin, but much more, there's grace. Because of one man's sin, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace reign, not just in justification, but in life. Adam sins, we get condemnation. Christ is our sacrifice and comes and brings us not just justification, but justification and life. So in this passage here, we see verse 16, that one sin brought condemnation, but the gift brought justification. Verse 18, the result of the one trespass was condemnation, but the result of the one act of righteousness was justification. Verse 19, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, but through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. There is the first Adam, and there's the second Adam, the new Adam, Jesus Christ, who stands in for us. And here's the great point, too. If you don't like federal headship, if you don't like the idea of Adam being your stand-in, being your representative in the garden, guess what? You also shouldn't like Jesus being your stand-in on the cross, because representation and headship comes in again. And so if you reject Jesus, if you reject Adam, excuse me, as your representative, then don't expect to accept Jesus as your representative on the cross because their headship works again positively in our favor. You see it, right? What sin is, secondly, what it means. So here we are on Mother's Day with this total downer of uh, the Apostle Paul talking about total depravity and original sin and, uh, you know, what a bummer for your lunch, right? And You're going to go out uh, to lunch and this. No. Uh, we need to hear this about our children. We need to hear this as moms, as dads, as parents who are parenting sinners who are also sinners. So what does this mean, this teaching of Romans 5? What does it mean For you and me, practically, let me try to tease out a few of these, okay? If you listen to what's being said on TV, if you listen to uh, talk show hosts, if you watch Oprah Winfrey, okay, and her friends, there, Oprah is gonna tell you that the problem with the world is out there, out there, and that the answer lies in here. This is just kind of, Common, secular, new age, world is kind of thinking. The problem is out there, but if you dig down deep in your heart, in the good place, and find that divine spark within you, then we can change the world by, by finding that piece of us that's really the true us down deep. And we can be in harmony with the divine and become part of the of the spiritual cosmos. And bring change to the world. The problem is out there and the answer is in here. And the Bible, folks, says the exact opposite. The Bible says that the problem is in here and that the answer comes from out there. And saves us from our sin by a rescuer, by a savior, by a redeemer who enters in our world, enters into our world to put it all right. The answer is not in us. The answer is not in our children, as great and as promising as they are. The answer is in the grace and the salvation of Jesus Christ himself. So what does this mean for you and me? The fact that we've inherited original sin, that all our our kids are sinners. What does it mean for you and I as parents or as grandparents? Well, a few thoughts. If these little folks are sinners, okay, to their core just like their mom and dad, then parenting isn't just about behavior management and getting our kids to not cuss, stay off drugs, not get pregnant before they're out of high school and all these other things. And those are fine goals. But if that's your goal as a parent, rather than the heart stuff, to have a child who loves the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, then your parenting has a low bar. And as parents, we got to see that the discipline of our children is not just about behavior management and in the moment choices, but our parenting is actually the discipleship of young souls. And that takes a lot more time a lot more wisdom and a lot more heartache than just behavior management. Because I'm, I can get my kids to, sh- to sit down and be quiet if I want to because I'm bigger and I'm more powerful. But what I'm powerless to do is to get in their heart and help them love Jesus the way that I hope they love Jesus. So my parenting has to take that into account. There's way more here to talk about than we have time for. But our job as parents is not just to keep our kids off drugs. Our job as parents is to help in the sanctification of the souls of our little ones. And not that they just be do-gooders, but that they be people in love with Jesus and ministers and missionaries in their very, very challenging world that they're growing up in. So if you... If I view my kids just as these little angels that don't have a propensity to sin, I will not discipline them. I will not parent them well. I have to know that they're sinners, not just sinners, but image bearers of God who also have sin down to the core, okay? So this Romans 5 should shape my parenting. Romans 5 should also shape my marriage. Uh, if you didn't know it on the wedding day, you probably found out on the wedding night or the honeymoon, uh, but Prince Charming is not Prince Charming. And, uh, and your beautiful princess is also a sinner. And the, the primary purpose of marriage is not to make one another happy or, hey, you complete me. The primary purpose of marriage is to help one another become holy. And you know how that happens? By marrying a sinner. In the covenant of marriage who can look me in the eyes and say, I love you, but you're wrong. <laughs> and I'm not going to walk out, but you're wrong. And you really need to work on this. That's the gift of marriage for happiness, of course, but for my holiness in a, rela- in a covenant relationship that says, I see your sin and it's ugly. But I also see God's grace on your life, marriage. Marriage is the crucible that God uses to help sinners grow in Christ likeness. If you don't know your spouse is a sinner, boy, uh, you all do. That's not—it's not even an option, right? We know it. They know a second. They know a second best. It also this idea of Romans five and original sin and total depravity it affects our work. Some of us are looking for the perfect job, the for the perfect place to, to to work, where our gifts will be maximized, where we'll be, uh, where we won't have to office next to so and so. Every workplace we enter will be full of sinners, and therefore every workplace and every opportunity we have will be challenges to be to also be crucibles where God changes us by other sinners and by our own sin. And if you don't have this concept, if you don't have this truth of sin to the depth of your core, you won't parent well, you won't parent right, you won't enter marriage with the right expectations, you won't enter work with the right expectations, and you'll be continually disappointed because... You think you can kind of create a little bit of heaven right here? So let me end with this. Oh Ross, you Debbie Downer. As Christians, should we be optimistics, optimists, or pessimists? Should we see the glass half empty or half full? What should be our our perspective? What should be our attitude as we go out of this world with our parenting and in our workplaces, in our, in our marriage. Should we be optimists or should we be pessimists? Let me try this on for size, okay? I offer this. Christians should be neither naively optimistic nor hopelessly pessimistic. You get that? Neither naively optimistic, hey, it's all going to be okay. It's not because we're sinners. Nor hopelessly pessimistic. The worst of marriages. The worst of behavioral issues with your children is not beyond the much more grace of God. That's what he says in Romans chapter 5. So as Christians, we're neither naively optimistic nor hopelessly pessimistic because we believe in two great things, or two true things, I should say. I don't call sin a great thing, but we believe in two truths, the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of grace. Sin informs how we think about things, but grace gives us hope that even in the darkest, hardest, toughest of circumstances, God can work and God can win. That on Friday, when Jesus was in the tomb, Sunday was coming. And he was just as much God on Friday as he was on Sunday when he came out of the tomb. There's sin. And then there's God's much more grace. Jody not only brought me gifts and cookies, but she also they went to uh, Nashville last week for David's graduation, and she brought me back uh, this business card of this church a little flyer uh, that David and Jenna go to. And on the back of the business card, the back of the website, it has a three point mantra of their church, and I thought this is Romans five. So here's the mantra: It says, "I'm a complete idiot." My future is incredibly bright. And number three, anyone can get in on this. Isn't that great? I mean, that's what Romans 5 is saying. We're a mess. We're totally depraved. We're affected by Adam and Eve's sin and guilt. But our future is incredibly bright because of grace. And if you're here this morning and you don't have that hope of grace, you can get in on this. By transferring families from Adam's family to Jesus' family. You're in one or the other. You're either in Adam or you're in Jesus. Would you bow with me? Father God, I pray that if there are any, there are any people here this morning that are unsure of their connection to Jesus, that they would, by faith, trust in Jesus and become a part of his family and experience your grace, Father, through Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us to walk out of here uh, this morning knowing the depth of our own sin, knowing the depth of the sin of this world, but not being hopeless because we know the grace of Jesus. And as bad as it looks right now, as bad as it may get on Monday morning, we know that you've conquered all through Jesus and our Savior is returning to put all things right. And it's in his beautiful name we pray.